podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to another episode of Zero Ducks Given, the greatest podcast in the world. Asterix, unofficially, not proven, but uh, we like to think so. So it's a bit of a different podcast this week because I am currently recording, and you can probably hear some background noise, I'm currently recording at Oxford Downs Cricket Club where myself and Daniel Norcross are representing the brilliant, wonderful charity that is the Lord's Taverners as they play against a masked cricketer 11 in a charity game. And so we are having to record the podcast from down here. I'm currently stood here with a microphone plugged into Daniel Norcross's iPhone. Um, And I shudder to think some of the dark materials that feature on this phone that I'm holding in my hand. In fact, just I'm, I'm going to wipe my fingerprints off this phone in case one day it's ever seized by the FBI. <laughs> and I have stood next to Daniel Norcross, who, uh, I mean, he looks fantastic. Let me talk you through the wardrobe. He's got, a, um, he's got some lovely trainers on, some colourful trainers. Cricket white trousers on in case he gets a game at some point for the Taverners today. A classic Daniel Norcross Hawaiian shirt actually quite a quiet sedate Hawaiian shirt by his very high standards um, some shades what would you call those shades where you can flick them open what are they called clip-ons baby <laughs> that's your first contribution to this week's podcast is the sentence clip-ons baby uh, and he's got a he's got a Panama hat on with the Lord's Taverners colours around it and and you look a picture Daniel it's lovely to see you how are you mate well, I'm ecstatic. I mean, look, we are outside in sunshine. I'd completely forgotten about this. It's been, I don't know, it's actually probably been about a year because I was in lockdown through all of last summer. And then when on the very rare occasions it was sunny, I was inside a commentary box and we weren't allowed out onto the ground. So this is unbelievably brilliant. There's the hubbub of pitch side commentary. There's, some, there's a really corpulent lad in this side who's actually quite nimble. Have you seen him? Oh, right. he, he runs a little bit, but he's, he's, he's about five foot four all the way round. <laughs> and a uh, ball went underneath him a moment ago, but he did make a very serious attempt at getting there. Um, that we've seen some great cricket, we've seen some less than great cricket, but who cares? We've got nachos. I've just had possibly the greatest sort of nibble I've ever had in my life. It was three king prawns drenched in aioli on the top of a bit of sort of like bruschetta type thing and uh and underneath it there was just this faint air of chili and tabasco it was so gorgeous Tobes. I'm, I'm loving it the, and and we have a new most middle class start to a podcast ever i'd say it is a very middle class setting i say a lovely cricket ground if ever you get invited to watch a game at oxford downs cricket club it is it is beautiful in the sunshine uh, to the left of me is some cricket nets there's some kids playing in there Earlier on, I saw a kid, I reckon he's about five years old, facing the bowling machine about 65 miles an hour. And he was spanking it to all sorts. They produce some good cricketers around here. Uh, in the game that's going on at the minute, by the way, the Taverners um, are plodding along in a 30-over game. The batsmen are going nowhere. Um, Rob Andrew, who, if you're a rugby fan, you'll be a, he'll be a hero of yours. Uh, Rob Andrew's just got out. He's fallen on his sword for about 30-odd runs, but the Taverners are boring everyone to tears and batting very very slowly so far it's been highly disappointing yeah look I mean we don't come here for the entertainment do we on the pitch but we should be hearing a bit from from Rob Andrew later with a bit of luck um, he's a CEO at Essex of course so he could tell us all about Jofra out with his elbow injury and Ollie Robinson who's been selected in England squad he might be playing a test match at Lords on Wednesday or at least edge bastard he'll play in one or the other you'd imagine so and I've always wanted to know the inside track on Ollie Robinson. But for me, Ollie Robinson is a series of preposterous numbers. Yeah. Do you know? It's like, oh, he's taken 48 wickets this season, an average of 12. You go, how? What? This is crazy. Why isn't he playing for England? So we'll get a little bit on that. We've, uh, we've got Mike Gatting waddling around here uh, in, his, in his distinctive fashion, looking very happy. He's umpiring. Um, we've got Matt Floyd, the hot felon. It looks exactly. Do you remember the hot felon? Oh, Jeremy Meeks is the name of the hot felon. The guy that his mugshot, and now he gets like Versace contracts. There is a bit of Matt Floyd about that. Yeah, exactly. Although Matt Floyd, I bet he's 
Bates never committed a crime. Bates never even stolen sweets from a shop. He looks like a right goody two-shoes Floydy. He's broken a speed limit in the car I've been in a few times. <laughs> um, and we've also got Matthew Hoggard, who I just want to talk to about barbecues, because that's what Hoggy does now. So here's what's going to happen, right? So me and Norcross are here. So we're going to record the bulk of the podcast at the game today, and we're going to try and get some of those names you just heard there. Um, whether they want to talk to us. We want them. Do they want us? That is the story of our lives in many ways. Um, Stephen Finn. Now, if you're wondering where Finney is, Finney is at a barbecue at Owen Morgan's house. Owen Morgan has been quarantining, and he's finally out of whatever bubble or hotel or whatever he was doing. And so he's throwing a barbecue, and we said to Finney, can you record a Monday night? And he said, no, because I'm going to be absolutely levered at Owen Morgan's barbecue. So we have asked Stephen Finn to, at the barbecue, take some recordings, ask some questions, because I think there's quite a few cricketers at this event. Um, I'm going to throw it out there right now. I bet you Stephen Finn doesn't get us one bit of content for this podcast this week. Yeah, well, I think we might get something. It'll be something like, how's this thing work? Oh, fuck it. <laughs> And so we may or may not be getting contributions for some of those names you heard there. And we may or may not be getting contributions from Stephen Finn and Owen Morgan. Um, We'll all find out together over the course of the next 30 or 40 minutes or so. So wish us luck. Um, That noise you hear in the background was Lord's Taverners, believe it or not, just hit a boundary. Let me me give the people at home an idea of the score, actually. I'm going to go and look at the scoreboard. I need to go around a corner. So Taverners are about... 81 for one off about 17 18 overs which sounds all right but it's a 30 over game meant to give everyone a bat and there's only been one wicket because everyone's batting for their averages so uh so the taverners they do wonderful things to charity but they do terrible things for the game of cricket (laughs) do you know what they look like they look like men who didn't get a game all of last year and they're determined to chew up all those balls that they didn't face in 2020 that's exactly it uh so we'll keep you updated on this game and uh and how myself and i really would like daniel norcross to play some cricket today but i can't see it happening at the moment he looks like a man who's going to definitely just roam around the boundary. Um, pretty much if you go to any cricket ground in the country, at some point in the summer, you will see Daniel Norcross looking lost and roaming around the boundary. And this is one of those days. Uh, so we'll come back to you soon. OK, so I am still here at Oxford Downs Cricket Club and I am joined now by cricket commentator extraordinaire and fellow Lords Taverner, Matt Floyd, who, Matt, um, Daniel Norcross just moments ago described you as the hot felon have you ever seen Jeremy Meeks I think that's his name the, the attractive felon whose mugshot made him get like a Versace contract there how do you feel about that comparison well pretty good actually seriously. have you seen the guy I mean he is hot he is. he's serious and he's dangerous like me are we talking about Norcross <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah yeah and let me tell you about the hot felon as well um, so Floydy you have had the I was going to say the pleasure but um you have had the chore of commentating on Middlesex cricket games throughout the season so far. And Finney isn't here to defend himself. What, what have you made of Middlesex so far this season? You, you've seen more than anyone else what's been going on. Talk, talk to me. What's going on at Middlesex at the moment, Floydy? Well, I'll tell you what, it's a, it's a bit repetitive at the moment. First of all, not batting very well. There's been quite a few collapses. They've been bowled out for under 100. They've been bowled out for 120, 140, 150. And when that happens, you're not going to win many games. And then... With the ball, they've been good, but they've contrived to lose these games on the final day. They should have beaten Somerset in Taunton. They chased down a, a fairly big score. Same at, at Lords in the first game of the season. And then we can't even beat Leicestershire at the moment. You can't even defend 400 against Leicestershire. Apologies to all Leicestershire fans. But uh, yeah, Middlesex at the moment are just in free fall. I was watching that, uh, well, watching the score on on quick info as it was ticking down and realising that Leicestershire were going to get them. I was thinking, you know what Middlesex need right now? They need a, a six foot seven tall, fast bowler who hits the deck. So they're going to get Tom Helm back, haven't they, really? <laughs> I mean, I did see the Leicestershire scorecard and I thought, there's got to be a space for a, for a certain Stephen Finn. Oh, Floydy, oh, you're in. Floydy. Lovely to chat to you. Floydy's going to go and bat for the Lord's Taverners now. 131 for four. And uh, we'll talk to him post-innings and let you know how he's got on. Cheers, Floydy. <laughs> so I've got Charlie Ross with me from Antiques Road Trip. You know what we're trying to do on Zero Ducks. is you know the, the mission, hashtag get Norcross wandering around in a clapped out Jaguar E-type. 
and then have to schlep two miles across a boggy field to a cluttered antique shop in Stamford before pouring over daguerreotypes that'll make no money. Um, anyway, I've got Charlie Ross with me. He's just watched Toby Bowl. Uh, what do you make of it, Charlie? Wonderful. Lithe, lissom, speedy, bouncy. All you need from a quick bowler. And resembling his father, not at all. Just to be clear, Toby's the guy bowling at the far end, not, not the one at this end. Correct. The tall, thin one that bounds in, not the wobbler at this end. Um, now, you also conducted the auction today. Highlight of the auction, you managed to squeeze £850 for two people to go to the TMS box with me, when the actual value of that is two cupcakes, isn't it? I think that's, that, that's what you normally get in for. I disagree. I think the value of that is priceless possibly between three and five thousand pounds i would have said that they got an absolute steal the sort of time they're going to be in fact i'm thinking of sidling up to them and making them an offer for it a short profit a turnover well well what do they look like do you think i do you think i'd have problems with them because we've sold a couple of these before and my big fear is that you know we're just it'll be libyan terrorists or something that you've sold it to and they're going to come in and just mow us all down oh had you not heard Oh, today's purchaser had a little flag in the back of his car. I'll say no more. Thank you, Charlie. Well, that's that's uh, that soothed me. You go well. Still down at Oxford Downs Cricket Club, nursing the wounds of defeat, the Lord's Taverners, but I'm joined by opening bowler today, the one and only Mr Matthew Hoggard. Hello, Matthew. Um, most important question, how did I bowl? Uh, you're right, the wounds are still raw, and it's hard to talk about it right now. I thought you bowled all right, didn't you? Um... You need to, to use that height to your advantage and keep on nailing that length because that length keeps on slipping a little bit. And once you hit that length, you're, you're quite a difficult character. Thank um, you, Hoggy. It's, the fourth over, though, was one of indescribable awfulness, uh, the one that you just got larruped through through the onside, which I think probably changed the game. And then well, I, I didn't... Know. The first over went for plenty. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and, then, and then what I liked was you, you had the, you were both the left-hander with no fine leg. Yeah. You were convinced you'd be able to push it outside of the offside. Yeah. What happened? Sprayed everything down the leg side. You did, didn't you, anyway? Yeah. Okay, so let's now talk about Daniel Norcross's terrible, terrible calling from the, the, the barrack in from behind the tent underneath the marquee while enjoying a glass of wine. Got you to remove your first slip and put it at 45. And then very next ball, where did it go? Snicked it right past first slip. Daniel Norcross talked me out of a wicket today. Even when you're not on the pitch, you've ruined my day. It's quite incredible. It's There's a lesson to be learned. Do not listen to Daniel Norcross. <laughs> I, I, I try not to, but he, keep, he keeps talking, so you have to listen to some of it. Uh, now, Hoggy, I, I, I was going to ask about England New Zealand, but uh, you, you don't know anything about England New Zealand, do you? Mate? Not a lot, no. Uh, people keep asking me. I said, I've not been watching, so not a clue. Okay, well, let's talk about something much more important. Barbecues. Talk to me about Hoggy's Grill. How did it start? What's it all about? Yeah, barbecue is much more my, my forte, as you can see by the size of me at the moment. Um, we've got a, a barbecue school where we, we teach people how to cook properly on grills. You say we're having a barbecue in the UK, people get the sausages, the rubbish patties from the supermarket and the chicken. They burn the sausages, either undercook or overcook the chicken, and they get crappy patties and make rubbish burgers. So we want to educate people that you can cook anything on a grill. I absolutely love it. And they do a whiskey and meat night, which sounds like my perfect night ever. Well, Daniel, you've got a question for Hoggy. Yeah, well, you've been teaching Agus how to barbecue, yeah? Uh, has, he, has he got there yet? Has he got there? Agus has been up to the grill, um, and we've, we've done a lot of cooking together over lockdown and when we've been in the rain and underneath the marquees and everything else. So he is, he's a keen, enthusiastic barbecuer. It just now needs to go from just one one um, aspect of the meal to the entire meal because he, he likes to focus on one thing at a time and let everybody else worry about the rest of the meal keen and enthusiastic is always code word for crap isn't it yeah <laughs> thank you hoggy appreciate it mate <laughs> no cheers mate thank you for that okay so we are back at oxford downs cricket club and i'm here with the taverners losing captain rugby legend mr rob andrew and i've got a uh, my main question is oh sorry there we go there's the raffle oh good oh good just in time for the raffle yeah we'll do, do you know what we'll come back to this we'll keep it though so we're going to give this a second go with rob andrew 
losing captain. Sorry to rub that in again, Rob. Uh, the big question everybody's asking is they needed, what, seven to win off the last over and Jason Dodd had just gone for about one run off his last over, but you turned to me and said, Toby, you bowl instead of Doddy. And I said, are you sure, captain? And, uh, and they won with a ball to spare. Talk me through your thought process at the time, Skip. Uh, mostly confusion. Mm-hmm. Um, I am considering my position as captain <laughs> again. Um, I, do, I do resign after most Taverners games if we lose in the last over. Uh, not only that decision, but a very poor decision not to bowl Henry, who the young leg spinner, 14-year-old leg spinner, who only got three overs, who's our best bowler. But apart from that, I'm, I thought I had quite a good day as captain, one of my better ones. <laughs> well, me and Rob as the Brains Trust, we stopped at drinks. We went, apparently this kid bowls leg spin, but that could go for a lot of runs, so let's save him. Turns out he's the best leg spin I've ever seen in my life, and he bowled three overs for nothing, and it was me letting down the side at the end. Uh, Norcross, if you're wondering where he is, is surrounded by fans. He's quite the heartthrob, our Daniel Norcross. You wouldn't believe it. Uh, a very quick one, Rob, as you're heavily involved at Sussex Cricket Club, I've got to ask you about Ollie Robinson, a long overdue England call-up. Uh, what, what should we expect from him, those of us who haven't seen much of him bowl? Well, I look, first of all, I hope he plays. He, he's been in the bubble you know, most of last summer. Uh, and a lot during the winter as well. So he's been really close. Um, obviously been working with Broad and Anderson and all the other bowlers. Uh, he's had a great record in the last three or four years in county cricket. Uh, he's, a, he's taken a lot of wickets and he's very accurate. Um, thinks a lot about the game. Um, you know, he really thinks way, how to get batsmen out. Um, and I genuinely hope, I mean, clearly he's a Sussex player, I genuinely hope he gets a go um, because... You know, you never know, do you, until somebody steps up at that level. But he's worked so hard to get to this position. Uh, so, yeah, I'd be really pleased for him if he gets in. Uh, I don't think he'll let the side down. You look at his record over the last four years, he doesn't go for many runs and he, he picks a lot of wickets up. Yeah, his numbers are ridiculous. Well, thank you very much, Rob. I'll let you get back to your beer and nachos, mate. Thank you very much. Pleasure. Cheers. Take Cheers, care. <laughs> OK, so an update. Daniel Norcross and I are now back in our respective homes. Daniel very kindly drove me from our charity cricket match with the Lord's Taverners back to back to pretty much my doorstep. Thank you very much for that, Daniel. Much appreciated. Well, I, I actually thought as I came through the door that I probably wasted about three quarters of an hour of your time because it would have been quicker to take the train. But yeah. Yes, but I wouldn't have got your lovely company, Daniel. And that's uh... Yeah, that's right. Well, like, you can't put a price right, on that. Yeah. You, you can't put a price yeah. on that. Um, well, thank you very much for that. Did you ever find your ashtray, by the way? You were looking for an you ashtray. Know, I did, yeah. I, I, I put it back in my bag. Ah, it's really, well. really annoying. I mean, it's more, it's less annoying than me not having put it back in the bag and therefore having lost it. But it's quite annoying that it wasted us three minutes and that could have been the difference between two or three different sets of traffic lights. And we That's might not true. have got back as late as this. I should explain that Daniel Norcross, I mean, you know, taxpayers money tms is clearly paying him okay because he's upgraded his car significantly from the old banger that uh he'd once driven me around in and they've got a very fancy new car but it's got no ashtray and uh daniel norcross if you listen to this podcast you know smokes like a chimney so he fought ahead and brought his own ashtray with him so it's a brand new car plus an ashtray but he'd lost the ashtray on the return journey so he had to do the old-fashioned thing and just tap the cigarette out the window i used to use uh a, a trainer or my shoe because actually it was it was really good for the soles and, and it sort of absorbed any odor really? years, i used to use my shoes as well, i don't know what not wait, so you used to put your cigarettes out in your shoes because you no no that... not, not the seat no i didn't i didn't put the butt out but i put the ash into the shoe does that make your feet is my feet are never that cheesy as long as i shower every day and i don't wear socks for too long no. i think i'd rather my feet had like a day's walking than smelt of cigarettes I don't get paid enough to buy new shoes. So so my shoes have to last for a long time. And as a result, they can over time. You're saying this like there's no other option as an ashtray. Well, I've got to use a shoe. So, and the shame is I can't buy any new ones. You're saying it like... Odor eaters are made out of charcoal, aren't they? It's basically the same principle. Is, is the way I, was. I mean, obviously it didn't do too well with socks. Like, like it, the, the, the sole of a patterned sock would be ruined in no time. And white socks just became brown before you knew it but who was wearing white socks (laughs) well you'll be pleased to hear that now that the bbc are paying daniel so handsomely he's no longer ashing his cigarette into his shoes (laughs) now speaking of uh, charcoal and ash we promised you some potential audio from Stephen finn at a barbecue so owen morgan had 
I was going to say Owen Morgan had his coming out party, but that sounds a bit different. Owen Marty, <laughs> Owen Morgan had his end of quarantine party, sort of a barbecue, and Finney was going to go and get some some gold for us. We spoke to Finney earlier. When he turned up, everyone was half cut and drunk and levered, and he didn't really feel it was fair to wave a microphone in their face. So Stephen Finn has contributed absolutely nothing to this podcast. And I would say that we're not going to pay him for this week, but seeing as none of us earn any money off this thing anyway, that's not much of a threat. Um, we also promised you, we got you most of the people we wanted. We got Matt Floyd, also known as Hot Felon. We got Matthew Hoggard. We got Rob Andrew. We tried to get Mike Gatting. We did something absolutely impossible today. The cricket game ended. Daniel and I looked around to get Mike Gatting and he had disappeared. We lost Mike Gatting. Nobody has ever lost Mike Gatting. I described it earlier to Daniel as he's like looking for a haystack in a needle. And somehow we managed to lose him. We never saw him. We don't know where Gatting went. I can't quite believe that that happened either. And not only was he like the Mike Gatting you know and love, but he was a Mike Gatting you know and love in, in quite vivid clothing today. Mm. He was very noticeable. Bright red a bit hat. Of colour it, there. It was about. Do you think it was a bit "Make America Great Again"? His hat, wasn't it? Yeah, there was a touch of that. I mean, it didn't actually have the slogan on those. Let's no. be absolutely clear about that. But I'm, I was slightly worried because I was doing pitch side commentary, and I did make reference to Middlesex being at the bottom of the county championship quite a few times. And on reflection. Call it the paranoia that comes with a late night sushi. I'm slightly concerned that we've. Um, that, that, do you think it was that? Do you think I shouldn't have kept on going on about how they managed somehow to concede 380 odd to Leicestershire and well, the bottom of their table? Well, the last time that we did a Lord's Taverners game and you commentated, you abused Andy Caddick so much, he physically wanted to beat you up. <laughs> I guess there yeah. is probably merit in you considering maybe it was your actions that upset Mike Gatting. Well, John Simpson, the Middlesex wicketkeeper, once uh, tied me to a chair in Hong Kong and put duct tape around my mouth so that I would stop talking. <laughs> <laughs> and, so, and, yes, it could be that, couldn't it? And John Simpson is one of the few Middlesex players that could walk away from that Leicestershire game with his head held high after a 95 not out. Well done, Simo. Um mm. We should mention that uh, Middlesex, I mean, it, the the sad thing about Middlesex is it's been their batting that's been letting them down and their bowlers have been delivering. And then suddenly, Leicestershire chased 378, five down to beat them. So then the bowlers didn't perform for them. Um, I mean, genuinely, uh, Stephen Finn took five wickets and got dripped out, dropped out of that Middlesex side. He's got to have a chance, hasn't he, of getting back in there at some point? Because... I know he goes for a few runs, our, our Finney, our, our beautiful, handsome Finney, but he takes wickets and they were well short of taking 10 wickets against Leicestershire on the final day. Um, I think they're oh. trying to blood some youngsters, but ugh, I don't know. I, I just feel like there's always space in your team for Stephen Finn and it's not like he can do much worse than the current crop at the moment. Do you know, Toby, I, I would just really love to know how Stephen Finn feels right now. And luckily enough, on Zero Ducks pod, Stephen Finn is our regular guest, Stephen. Uh, isn't it amazing that we're asking Sorry, for Stephen Finn? We, we can't get Stephen Finn's thoughts on Stephen Finn on a podcast where his name's above the door. In fact, here's a, here's a story from behind the scenes. When we first had the Zero Ducks given poster designs, my name was first. And I, you know, valiantly, nobly said to the designer, oh, no, put Stephen Finn at the front. He's the main attraction. He's not even here to talk about Stephen Finn. I'm going to make sure I'm going to re-amend that poster. I'm going to put me first, you second, Norcross. Forget him. Oh, I'm really touched, genuinely. You're welcome. And um, we should also mention the county championship. There was uh, loads to get through, but I want to shortly yeah. come back to England, New Zealand, which is our main focus. But uh, a proper Roses game. I mean, a battering by Lancashire. But it was exciting because they were desperately chasing wickets on the final day. And it looked like it was going to peter out at one point. It, it looked a little bit dull. But uh, upstep Shakib Mahmood who took five wickets, and we also discovered looks a lot like Stephen Finn. He posted a photo, or Lancashire posted a photo of him on their social media account, and I sent it to the Zero Ducks WhatsApp group. Shakib Bermud looks more like Stephen Finn than Stephen Finn does. In fact, seeing as Finney hasn't bothered doing anything for this podcast, we'll just get Shakib Bermud to sit in for him. No one will be able to tell the difference. Do you know, when, when you sent me that photo, I couldn't believe it. It reminded me of a young Stephen Finn. It took me back a few years, well, quite a few years now, I suppose. 
mm. back to those happy, heady days of a, of a young Finney, when he was at his most sort of, I don't know, hopeful, cheerful. And his, his hair had a great luster as well. Floppy, he had floppy hair, didn't he? Yeah, a little smile teasing across his as yet innocent lips. He styles uh, his hair up yeah. now, but it used to let it used to let it fall gracefully across his forehead, like like Saki Mahmood. Yeah. And, uh, and I think that was what it was. And you're right, what a, what a game it was as well. It was completely berserk, but uh, superb to see it on uh, on TV on Sky on Sky Cricket. And it'll be the I guess the last of these kind of temperature games for a while. And it has generated a huge amount of interest, and it's still a novelty to me to be on a big screen. I mean, I know you're going to say to me, Grandad, you can get YouTube on your telly. And I have actually recently worked out how to do that. But I'm still sort of, you know, flicking through the channel Sky Sports County Championship, and my heart races a bit because the last time I used to see County Championship cricket on TV really regularly was, uh, and it wasn't that regular, it was twice a year when ITV used to put the Roses match on and it always pissed down with rain. Uh, it was a kind of like a throwback to a happy past. So I've had a lot of Proustian moments. We've had Finney looking like Saki Mahmood and taking me back to my youth and now County Championship cricket, but shall we move on? Well, it was lovely to see County Championship on the, on the TV over the last few weeks. And I think it's, you know, a bit like the women's game. We touched on it a bit last week with Alex and Kate, but the more you show these things, the more people watch it and get into it and learn the players and learn the teams they like and learn the teams they don't like. And the more you show these things, the more people are going to watch it. It's, it's not rocket science. The quick thing on that, actually, the women's game kicked off with a bang with the Rachel Hayhoe Flint trophy on Saturday. Mm. No fewer than four women getting hundreds. And you're dead right. All available on various, you know, by YouTube. Well, it, it's just terrific, isn't it? We've got more cricket now than we could ever have imagined. And we've been going on and on and on about how things you know, cricket needs to be more accessible, needs to be on free to air, whatever we quite mean by that in the modern age. And so, yeah, it's been um, it's been quite the thing. I don't know whether it's to do with the pandemic or whether counties have just worked out how better to monetize their own product to a degree. Mm. I think there's been a little bit of loosening of restrictions and improvement on uh, with with technology. You know, because previously we've had these fixed cameras, one at each end, and that's been it. And now some counties are actually employing someone to come in, act as a third camera, a roving camera, so you follow the ball. Uh, you know, Middlesex have got three of them. Um, and we're just going to see more and more of that happening. And it will be joyous and lovely. Well, from free-to-air television and easy-to-watch cricket to uh, England test matches at home, the most expensive cricket you could possibly watch, that you can only watch if you've got a very, very expensive direct debit set up every single month. So England versus New Zealand. Now it's shaping up to be, it should be a hell of a test series. Because England, there's a few new faces. I'm not going to go into the rotation policy. I say this every time and then I go into the rotation policy, but it annoys me. It frustrates me. I know times are different, but there's an Ashes at the end of the year. To me, an Ashes will always be the most important thing there is. And I don't understand. I've worked out, you can basically, a test match is 450 overs, yeah? 90 overs times five, 450. That's 11 and a half 2020s. So Josh Butler's being rested because he played a few 2020s in India. He'd have to play 11 and a half 2020s in five days for it to be matching a test match. And yet these players can play back-to-back test matches usually. So what? why are we resting him? Paul, okay. he's, ju- he's just looking good in a, he's just looking good in a test out, in a test kit. He's looking good in white clothes for England. Joe Root's trying to build something. I know they had a shocker in India, but that didn't help because half the team was being rested and rotated. I just feel like, are we not trying to build something? There's an Ashes about five, six months away. Let's play our best players. We've already got Joffrey Archer ended. I get it, but it's a pandemic, Toby. And I, I know that sounds a bit too simplistic, but the players themselves, I think, benefit from a certain degree of certainty. I think the player that England will miss most out of this resting policy is actually Chris Wokes because he was one that would have been perfect for them and balances the side in the absence of Ben Stokes having a, a finger injury. That's why he's not there. That's It's injury for him. For Wokes, it's being rested. But I think to a degree, what the management have said, and I kind of get it, is that you deserve, you know, you're actually out there working and slightly on the front line, you know, you're in bubbles, you're having to be 
really careful about what you do. If anything goes wrong, then the whole thing collapses. It's not quite the same as working in an office. If you get COVID, then yeah, everyone's going to isolate for a couple of weeks, but the whole thing doesn't completely collapse. Whereas, you know, a tournament collapses, we saw it with the IPL. And so they are under a lot of strain and they're not seeing their families much. So I think what the ECB decided way back after the bubble experiment in England, where they saw the genuine effect of people in these very tight environments um, was to say, well, the only way we can do this is through rotation. We're going to have to just rescue in and out of bubbles. And they've stuck to it. And you'd, I get your point. It does seem insane that with the IPL finishing early, so they've had longer, but Chris Wokes didn't come out of quarantine until very recently, only about a week ago or so, if that. And he's a bowler. So he doesn't really want to just pitch up having been stuck inside a hotel room with a window that's open one inch and he can't even go for a walk. It's not the perfect environment. You know, it's not the perfect uh, practice, is it, for going out there and playing elite cricket? So I, I do get it to a degree. What it means to me, though, Toby, and I'm sort of interested in what you said there about Australia, is are England going to use these two test matches to find out something about players they haven't yet been able to with the Ashes in mind? Or are they trying to win a two-test series? That that is that is what it all boils down to. And you look at the squads, and I think they're going for a bit of both, basically, which I know is a very on-the-fence answer. The, the, the top six worries me because I, it's not far away from what the top six is going to be in Australia. It's, it's probably going to be Sibley, Burns, Crawley, Root, Pope, Lawrence, and Bracey at seven. You know, obviously Butler and Stokes come into that, but um, it doesn't... It doesn't scream runs, does it? It doesn't. Uh, Joe Root's obviously a proven world-class performer. Ollie Pope looks like he will be a very, very good player, but obviously he needs to get the demons from from India out of his head first. Sibley showed glimpses. Burns has showed glimpses. Crawley showed glimpses. Dan Lawrence showed glimpses. It it it's it's not where you want to be a few months away from an Ashes series, is it? No, but this has been English cricket's problem really since the breakdown of its number one team, hasn't it? If you think about that side that had Strauss, Cook, Peterson, Bell, um, you know, Collingwood, Trot, Pryor, that top seven, it's got, it's got probably the, the Which is toughest, obscene when you say it yeah. out loud, isn't it? It's really... Well, it's extraordinary, isn't it? And, and it's probably as good as England have had since the 1920s and the 1950s. And those kind of groups come around quite rarely. The, the fear for England, I think, and, and for test cricket watchers in England, because the white ball situation is the total reverse, is that Joe Root is the only batter actually in the top six to average 40 since his debut. You know, to do that regularly, now that is quite concerning. Mm. So England have got a lot of hope in Pope, and Pope's not playing white ball cricket. You know, they've got a lot invested in Lawrence and in Crawley. Probably is they're all quite early on in their career. And I think what's going to be interesting in the New Zealand series is how the shakedown works. Because Bracey coming in, Bracey has been seen as a future England prospect for quite some time. I spoke to Gloucestershire's CEO, Will Brown, a few years ago and said, I'd like to look at this Bracey. And he said, uh, yes, I think we're only going to have him for the, another couple of years at most before England take him. So, And this is when he was very young, 20-odd. Uh, but he's coming in as a keeper, and that is not how he would England would have imagined him playing his first game for England. He's there because of folks' injury and because Bairstow and Butler were in the bubbles. So he's going to come in and bat at number seven, but the top three of Burns, Crawley, Sibley, they'll be looking over their shoulder a little bit because if Bracey has a good game with the bat, or a couple of good games, because he's probably one of the few people guaranteed in the lower order to get two matches, and, he, and if he looks like a top order batter, then when Stokes comes back in, there's going to be a, have to be a rejig. And then you, and when Butler comes back in, there'll have to be a rejig. So those three players at the top of the order will be watching Bracey and Pope and Lawrence, in a way, are kind of vying for one place. Because again, as if Stokes comes back in, which he will, at number five, you've only got one place for the number six. So I think there's a lot of intrigue 
for England fans to see how that shakedown works out. Yeah, completely agree. It's um, and I guess you know, competition for places is a good thing. These these batsmen, what English Test batsmen have been poor at in recent years, is being selfish, being greedy, not just getting twenties and thirties and thinking you've done your job, but knuckling down and getting hundreds and that phrase daddy hundreds that I'm not sure if I like it or not that gets thrown around a little bit but now with an ashes place up for grabs you've got to you've you've got to if you get a hundred you've got to put your head down and try and get a get a double hundred because there is a lot of competition for laces so I hope that that has a positive effect on the batting um it's it's also I mean you mentioned they're replacing that that incredible seven that they once had but I mean, I look, you look at the openers, Sibley and Burns and Crawley's a sort of question mark as a potential opener as well. But we still hadn't replaced Andrew Strauss when Cook then retired. I mean, that is how much England have struggled at the top of the order. So I'll give you a stat on that one, Toby. Amazingly, when Rory Burns made it to a thousand test runs, which I think was the last season, he became the first English opener to score a thousand runs in test cricket since Alistair Cook. It's terrifying. And we have tried everyone. Basically, if you are an opening batsman who plays, who's English, qualified, and plays county cricket, and you've not had a call-up since Strauss retired, you must be proper crap. Because they've given <laughs> everyone a go. <laughs> That's tough on Chris Dent, but yeah. <laughs> I, know, I know what you mean. Daryl Mitchell at Worcestershire will certainly be looking over his shoulder. Oh, you know, how, how did that not happen? You've only got to average about 35 in first-class cricket for about four games, and you get a call-up as the England team at the top of the order. So... It is, yeah, it, is also, it is It is. also very hard. I mean, they have, we have to balance this by pointing out that one of the other great things about the start of an English summer is the Duke's ball on pitches that will frequently assist them in conditions that will frequently assist them. And that is the worst thing for an opening batter to have, isn't it? It's no great surprise that opening batters struggle around the world. But in England, they particularly struggle because the ball does its absolute most. And what it does is fiendish. And it's in the hands of some very, very good players. So, look, I can see that why England have struggled to find a, a top order that works. New Zealand haven't. They've uh, they've, they've, they've sailed away. And, and part of the reason they have is because pitches in New Zealand, and they don't use a Duke's ball, they use a Kookaburra ball, they are the, the top scoring wickets in the world at the moment, in the last four or five years. Yep. You get the least amount of swing and uh, the fourth most amount of seam. So, you know, they're kind of developing test frequencies in a way on those kind of pitches. Yeah, completely. And we, we will come to New Zealand, but uh, certainly you would have said a few years ago they were very much a bowling side, but they've scored mountains of runs in recent test series against West Indies and Pakistan. So very much looking forward to seeing that New Zealand side, which we will discuss in a bit. Let's talk about the bowling then. Uh, there's two blokes called Jimmy Anderson and Stuart Broad. You might have heard of them. <laughs> They're quite good. They'll probably perform as they so often do in English conditions. And then it'll be interesting to see who plays around them. I think all the seamers are probably probably going to get go at some point. And obviously Leach is knocking around there for a bit of reliable hold down and end spin as well. Um, without guessing who's going to appear in these in these games and in what order, because otherwise this podcast is out mm. of date on eleven oh one on Wednesday. But um, let's just talk through the players. I mean, Ollie Robinson, if you if your job in county cricket is to knock on the England door, I mean, he's barged this door down for the last few years, returning silly numbers that you only normally see when you're, if you're as sad as me, trawling through play cricket and looking at club cricketer statistics from the weekend. I mean, he takes his wickets at 14s over the last few years. He has absolutely hammered his way into the England team. And I think there's a lot of excitement about him. I think English fans are excited to watch him bowl. I, I, I have to be honest, I've not seen much of him. I've seen Twitter videos and the odd dodgy live stream here and there, but I, I, I'd be lying if I said I've seen much other than his ridiculous statistics over the last few years. Yeah, they are completely ridiculous. There's a superb piece, uh, Crickbiz piece, I think Ben Jones did it, that analyses his last five years. Uh, the summary of it is he's taken an incredible number of wickets at an average below 20. He's got a very high action, uh, the third highest in the Crickviz database. There's some pretty tall bowlers out there, and he's about six four, six five. But nonetheless, he's got very high action, hits the pitch really nicely with that Duke ball. Proud scene. Um, I'll be interested to see how he gets on. I think he'll play 
one game at least. And he's been around the squad for quite a while, so he knows the players. Uh, look, it seems inconceivable that he'll be able to do what he started county cricket. And we've got to leaven it a little bit by pointing out that Sussex played in the second division for a fair bit of that time. Uh, but he's he's an exciting prospect, partly because we drool over these numbers, don't we? I mean, when you you, you were talking about them, and we just keep seeing he's having like 13 at various points in seasons. You go, how is this possible? <laughs> So look, that's going to be fun. But Craig, Craig Overton's got similar numbers and he's kind of vying with Craig Overton for the spot. So I expect to see rotation there. Both of them back pretty decently. And England have got a big problem with not having Wokes and Stokes. So the balance of their side is very skewed. Bracey, top order batter, is going to be in at seven in all probability, keeping wicket. So then you've got these four bowlers. So how do you balance them? So I think you're probably looking at Robinson and Overton for that slot, that sort of batting, bowling, Seema who bats a bit. Then you've got the pacemen. We've got Ollie Stone, Mark Wood. Fully expect to see them both play at some point, performing the same function. I think you're more likely to see Broad and Anderson together because why not, in a way? There's a big gap between these two matches and the next time they play because they don't play white ball cricket and there's very little county championship cricket. There's only two games between now and India and they wouldn't be eligible for one of them anyway They were with the squad. So I could see them potentially playing both games, um, which would be great fun as we watch their ridiculous advances. Jimmy Anderson is advancing on a thousand first class wickets. He's got 992 at the moment. We think only about his test numbers, but in first class cricket, will anyone else ever again get a thousand wickets? Maybe a spinner? Don't know. Unlikely, a lot less of it is played, so we could be witnessing history there. Stuart Broad's a man most likely to be able to do that. And then well, and, you and Darren this. Stevens when he's 74. And Darren Stevens, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> if only he'd if only he started bowling better earlier. He's, like, <laughs> he's 45, he's only got 560 wickets. I, mean, I don't know how that's Pull your finger but out, then, Stevens. But then, he's, but then you say, Jack Leach, how does he fit into this? And it's all going to depend, isn't it, on the pitches and the conditions that they see. But if they play Leach, their problem is they can only play three spinning, uh, three seasons. They've got in Dan Lawrence and Joe Root two serviceable spin options. The assumption is they might not need it. So uh, how much of a part in the series Jack Leach plays, we will we will wait to see. That'd be, that'd be kind of typical of his life, wouldn't it? You yeah. know, gets back to being the number one. Right, you're the only spinner in the in the squad don't think we need you right now because we're having a big seamer off for Australia <laughs> it would, I mean the poor bloke he's been in and out of the England side like you wouldn't believe and, uh, and, oh, and also never lets the side down when picked as well but no. he can't ever seem to quite get a full run of games especially after bowling beautifully in India at times it, we, we touched there as well on Stone but we've seen fits and bursts of him in the England side but he always gives you 110%. He always looks dangerous. He's got a beautiful action as well. And with Australia, the pitchers will suit him down there. And Joffre Archer, we don't know. You know, he's got elbow surgery on the way. We don't know how he's going to recover from that. So Ollie Stone will have one eye on that flight to Australia. I mean, I'm sure he will be on the plane to Australia, but he'll be thinking about, can I be playing the first test? Can I can I jump in ahead of Mark Wood? Who knows? Yeah. There's, there's lots of competition for places. It is exciting, I guess. You know, I'm sort of uh, backtracking here and doing a huge U-turn, but uh, I guess the one positive of the rest of rotation is we get to see these players. And it's always exciting to see players make their debuts and in Overton's case, come back into the side. Let's quickly talk about New Zealand um, before we uh, go to bed because it's been a long, long day. But it's a really exciting team. As I said, they were a proper heavy, heavily leaning towards their bowling a few years ago. They were they were such a strong bowling outfit. That bowling outfit has pretty much remained unchanged, but the batting's really picked up. However, the one addition, I mean, we talked about Ollie Robinson's numbers, but Carl Jameson's getting Ollie Robinson numbers at test level. He's played six oh. test matches so far. He's taken 36 wickets at a bowling average of 13.27. He's got five, sorry, he's got four fivers in six test matches, including one 10 wicket match, best bowling figures of six for 48, 20, so 36 wickets at 13.27. They're obscene numbers. Yes, it's six test matches, but he looks a real handful. He's also six foot eight, 
and he looks very, very exciting. And I think he's one that we, even England fans, we want to win this series, but I also would like to see Carl Jameson bowl really well whilst we win this series because I think he's going to be great to watch. Let's not forget he's taken those 36 wickets in matches that New Zealand have scored mountains of runs. <laughs> so the thing is, he's obviously, he's giving them something different. Between Bolt, Wagner, Southie, we won't see Bolt in the first game. He's definitely not going to play that one. Uh, he might be available for Edgebaston, we're waiting to see. But between those three, they've got 812 wickets. You know, this is, or walk-ups, as we will now have to call them, because it'll be a New Zealand series, and all of our bowels will be utterly strangulated for the next two weeks. But... Uh... <laughs> You've not been to New Zealand much, have you? <laughs> no, I've got Jeremy Coney, though, which I'm thoroughly <laughs> looking forward to. So uh, I intend to say flush and chops plentifully. Uh, um, so what was that? Yes, their bowling attack is, is extraordinarily fascinating and great. I think they're best one. I, I said to Jeremy the other day, um, New Zealand's away record, though, is disastrous. They've won two test matches against India, England and Australia combined since the year 2000. You know, England won three in Australia in 2010. So what is it? What, what, are, what are New Zealand not getting right? Is it partly what I alluded to earlier, that they play on these really run-heavy decks? And so when they're inside different conditions, part of their game plan sort of falls apart. Uh, not their bowling, but their, but their batting. That's, that's what's let them down when they've gone away. So it'll be interesting to see if that holds up. The bowling attack, I don't think they're going to care about spinner. They haven't got a spinner worthy of note. And they've got three terrific seamers, plus Jameson, plus Matt Henry, who's played in English conditions. Their batting interests me because it's the most unflamboyant, technocratic batting in the world. And yet we love New Zealand. Oh, great, we're playing New Zealand, we say. You look at that top seven, and it is so functional. I mean, Kay Williamson, of the best players in the world, is probably the most functional of the best players in the world. I mean that in the best possible way because he does it so well. But then you've got, you know, Latham, Henry Nichols, Blundell, Watling. They just don't give their wicket away. They just nudge the ball about and, and it's death by a thousand cuts. So it's going to be really interesting to see how that holds up with a Duke's ball. Unfortunately, though, at the hottest time of the year. It's the hottest time of the year. How that happened, I have no idea. Um, so who knows? All of our predictions could be completely nonsensical because the ball may go gun barrel straight. These batting conditions would be great. And we're just going to watch two turgid draws. Anderson and Broad will be livid. They've been playing for Lancashire and Nottinghamshire in these ridiculously overcast conditions, wearing beanie hats in the field. And it's been hooping around corners. And then the first test match starts and glorious sunshine comes out just in time for the Kiwis. It is worth mentioning there that the, the last New Zealand great side of a few years ago, captain by McCullum, was such a exciting and free-flowing team, and they all sort of followed their captain's lead, and they were basically a very strong one-day team. And McCullum kind of went, well, let's just try this in the test arena because nothing else is working. And they were a real brash, exciting team to watch. And yet, here we are just a few years later, the complete opposite complete opposite it's substance over style now from the batting but they're still getting excellent results so is that the captain is that the captain because you know you look at McCullum and McCullum just used to go hell for leather didn't he in whatever form of cricket he was playing yeah test cricket you see them go berserk with Williamson you've got this perfectly functional cricketer and he's perfectly functional he's just he's, he is still elegant but it's not the beauty of Coley, is it? It's not the wild idiosyncrasy of Steve Smith. It's not the sort of languid fluidity of Root or barbarism. There's something, you don't like go to bed at night and have a Kane Williamson innings flowing through your head. You just realise, just through being there watching it, what an effective and brilliant player he is. And in a way, I wonder if the New Zealand team is taking its lead from Williamson, trying to emulate that and... You know, they're not as good as Kay Williamson, but they're making the best out of themselves because they're finding that in their in their game. He's the greatest run down to third manner I've ever oh. seen, Kane Williamson. And it it's it's not an angled bat. He basically plays a forward defensive, but just lets the bat just roll off the face down to third man. And I've never seen anything quite like it. Um right, let's get some proper predictions, Dan, so that you and I can get them completely wrong. 
and then we can um, and then we can reflect on these in a few weeks' time. So the first question I'm going to ask you, Dan, is from England, top wicket taker, top run scorer, Anderson and um, Root. <laughs> That's really really imaginative of me, isn't it? <laughs> the two leading run scorers in the team. Thank you so uh, the much for swinging the for the Thank you for swinging for the fences and sticking your reputation on the line there with your choices of James yeah. Anderson or, and Joe Root for top run scorer or, and top wicket taker. Or, or how about Craig Overton for top run scorer and Joe Root for top wicket taker? Okay, now that? we're talking. <laughs> now Anderson and Root is a very fair suggestion. I am going to go. I am going to go with, I'm going to be a little bit more exciting because I'm going to go Stuart Broad. Run scorer. I've been championing him for a while and he's shown glimpses, but I'm going to keep sticking my neck out there. And, and I think Dom Sibley is going to one day nail down that opening spot for good. And so I'm going to say Dom Sibley is going to score well, some. What, what do you want to put me through? I'm doing both these tests for TMS. If Dom Sibley is the leading run scorer for England, it's, far, it's deep into the fifth day on both days, yeah. uh, both games, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Draw. It, is. it feels It's feeling a bit like a draw. England are going to win the series 1-0. <laughs> with Dom Sibley batting with Dom Sibley top run seven scorer. days <laughs> he's just going to lay the groundwork for, for, the, for the middle order to, to score some fancy runs to chase down about he's 230 might... this is what we came out of lockdown for this is it <laughs> So, and then I'm going to go New Zealand right I mean I'll, I'll go first on this one so I'm going to say top wicket taker I'm going to be as boring as you and say no, you know, I'm going to say Henry, top wicket taker. I'm going to say Ooh. Henry. Henry I, know, I was going to go Carl Jameson. But I'm going to go Henry, top wicket taker. However, top run scorer, I'm going for Kane Williams. <laughs> yeah, well, yes, yes. All right. Okay, well, I'm going to try and beat that. I'm going to go, um, without a doubt, Neil Wagner, because I think he'll end up having to flog the life out of these pitches when they're it turns out that they're not the green seamers that we were really looking forward to and the sun's come out. Uh, and he's just tireless and will bowl the most overs of any of their seamers. Yep. And top run scorer. Now, I'm so delighted by your Sibley suggestion. I want it to be a Latham Sibley score off of glacial cricket. <laughs> well, because we La- should... Latham, Latham, Latham is the Kiwi Sibley. I, I'm going to go. Yes, I'm going to go Latham. I'm going to see you, Sibley. I'm going to go Latham. We should mention that there's going to be 18,000 fans at Edgebaston next week. And after all this wait for crowds back at cricket, they're going to watch Dom Sibley and Latham. Yeah. <laughs> well, he's a, he's a Warwickshire man. They'll love every minute of it. They'll and, be and delighted. Also, in the Holly stand, nothing stops them. You know, that's true. Tw- be 20, 20 maidens, and you'll still find a bunch of nuns. Dom Sibley will look like Viv Richards after they, by the time they do yeah. that stand for a few hours. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> well, Daniel, we'll we'll reflect on these suggestions and these uh, predictions in a few weeks' time. But lovely to see you, sir. Thank you for my lift home later. Uh, oh, absolutely. My lift home earlier. Uh, earlier, indeed. Yeah. Thank you for thank you for giving me company. It was very jolly and actually directing me. But yeah, the next time we speak. We'll have seen some test cricket in front of a crowd in England. Let freedom ring. Can't wait. Daniel, see you next week. And uh, Finney, lovely to hear from you. Sports Social Podcast Network.